and welcome to our What Is Possible podcast series. I'm Nazreen Bizram, your host and Head of Charities at Barclays Corporate Banking. So as we reach the end of what has been an unprecedented year of uncertainty and disruption for individuals and businesses, we review the economic impact of the pandemic and look ahead to 2021, asking, what is possible? Please note that this podcast was recorded on Wednesday, the 16th of December. So just a quick reminder about today's recording. Before I introduce our guest, we would normally produce our podcast together in person. But as these are not normal times, this podcast is being recorded remotely from our homes. I'm delighted to introduce my guest today, who is Henk Potts, Director of Investment Strategy at Barclays Private Bank. Henk, welcome and thank you very much for joining me today. So let's kick off, Henk. What impact has COVID-19 had on the global economy over the last 12 months? Uh, It's great to be with you. It's certainly been a dramatic year. At the start of 2020, we, like the majority of forecasters, were cautiously optimistic about the economic prospects for the year. Many of 2019's dark clouds appear to have diminished. The consumer certainly looked in great shape. Central banks were accommodative. And policymakers, remember, promised fiscal support when required to extend the cycle. While geopolitical uncertainty, of course, remained Growth actually looked like it would be marginally higher during the course of 2020 compared to 2019. However, I guess as often is the case, it was a factor that actually resided relatively low down in terms of our risk matrix that was to have the most profound effect on society and the global economy since the Second World War. The locking down of economies resulted in this record drop in activity, surging unemployment, permanent losses in terms of output, and temporarily slower potential growth. The OECD estimates the damage to the world's major economies is four times greater than the 2009 financial crisis. The controlled lifting of restrictions certainly helped to alleviate some of those economic pressures. A number of economies registering a robust rebound in activity through the course of the summer. However, activity, of course, still remains vulnerable to future surges in infections, which have been triggering further restrictions. As a result of the disruption, the global economy, we think, will shrink by somewhere around 3.6% during the course of this year. To put that in some sort of context, that's the deepest contraction since the Great Depression. If you move on to future growth prospects, well, of course, they'll undoubtedly be determined by the lifespan, the intensity, and the geographical spread of the virus. True normalization of activity will probably only occur when a vaccine has been globally distributed. Our baseline is now that the US and Europe could achieve population immunity by the time that we get to the third quarter next year. And that has a dramatic impact in terms of our growth expectations. So to give you the headline numbers, I think given the size of the 2020 contraction, which of course creates a low base, hopes of vaccine leading to a full reopening of economies. And we shouldn't forget the vast level of stimulus instigated by policymakers. We do project a significant recovery during the course of next year, with global growth coming in a rather impressive 5.6%. However, certain sectors are perhaps the obvious ones, but the likes of the airlines, the hospitality and retail, we think may take many years to recover. So thinking about the fiscal response, what will the long-term impact of that be? Governments have embarked upon this extraordinary fiscal response, such as allowing companies to furlough staff, as well as pledging vast sums in loans, in grants, and credit guarantees. As the true impact of the crisis develops, so as governments' willingness to ramp up the measures to deal with the damage, the International Monetary Fund is forecasting the total has now surged close to $11.7 trillion mark. Remember, that's almost 12% of global output. 
But we should remember, of course, maybe not a question for 2021, but beyond that, if public finances are to be put back onto a sustainable path, and that will need to happen, there will need to be some longer-term constraints on fiscal policy. What does that mean? Well, it's likely to include higher taxes and substantial cuts in terms of government spending. But policymakers are betting doubling down on that fiscal response can boost the trajectory and help pay back some of that outstanding debt. So clearly COVID-19 has caused a lot of uncertainty this year, but obviously one of the uncertainties that played out this year was the outcome of the US election. So with a new president due to be inaugurated in January, what can we expect from a Biden administration? presidential election was certainly much tighter than many pollsters has predicted. And the balance of power in the US Senate will ultimately be determined by the runoff elections in Georgia in January. Republicans are expected to maintain control. If you look at the close race, the split legislature, that may crimp the new administration's ability to fully implement its domestic policy agenda. Aggressive tax hikes may need to be tempered. The regulatory risk overhanging the technology sector is expected to ease. And a tighter, more focused stimulus package is anticipated to be agreed. The president-elect, I think, is also likely to place much greater emphasis on some of the global policy areas, such as climate change, international institutions, and a multilateral approach to global trade, and specifically with its relationship with China. So certainly very different, I think, administration compared to what we've been used to over the course of the past four years. Brilliant. Thank you, Henk. I guess the other major issue, which is top of the agenda at the moment, is Brexit. So what, what are the chances of a deal? Well, in terms of that chance of getting a deal, well, still, as we know, on a knife edge, still too hard to call, despite more than a year of negotiations. On the balance of probability, we still think a deal can be achieved. The hope is, of course, that economic pragmatism will outweigh sovereignty concerns. But what we also should appreciate is that the risk of a no deal has been rising, and the shape of any deal will determine how much companies will have to comply with additional trade barriers, and UK companies will also have to deal with a divergent regulatory environment. With no agreement, British companies trading with the EU, she quite rightly pointed out, would have to do so under WTO rules. So certainly a significant change in terms of the way in which businesses operate, and they would have to adapt quite dramatically. EU companies would also have to face, of course, tariffs into the UK as well. In terms of the impact on the UK economy, well, if you look at the Office of Budget Responsibilities forecast, they talk about this near-term shock to GDP of being somewhere in the magnitude of around about 2% or so. So still an important factor and likely to determine, of course, how the UK performs over the course of the next few years. That's some pretty hefty tariffs you've outlined there, Henk. And as you say, businesses will really have to adapt and it's a real test of their resilience moving forward. But looking ahead, you know, what is possible? Can you provide listeners with an economic outlook for 2021 for the UK, the Eurozone, the US and China? Let's start off with the UK. One thing we do know is, of course, the UK has been particularly hard hit by the pandemic, registering a record number of deaths in Europe. Also, of course, the UK registering the worst second quarter contraction of any major economy in the region. The decline was widespread. Actually, if you look at the peak to trough decline in GDP between February and April, was somewhere around 25.6%. Hospitality, perhaps no surprise, saw the biggest drop in productivity and business investment has been under pressure. If we start to look towards 2021, there are certain factors that will 
clearly focused on. I think the labour market is going to be incredibly important. I think the UK labour market is projected to be one of the biggest casualties of the economic disruption. The long-awaited pick-up in unemployment started to shine through in the figures released in August, and I think it's expected to accelerate quite aggressively over the course of the next few months, particularly when you start to see the furlough programme unwind. So we believe UK unemployment may peak at around about 8.5% by the time that we get to the second quarter of next year. That said, the labour market should recover during the course of next year. The end of the year, we expect UK unemployment to be around about 6.8%. But that, of course, is still substantially higher than at the start of the pandemic when the rate was 3.9%. Policymakers in the UK, as we've seen with other countries, of course, responded to those economic challenges by aggressively loosening monetary conditions, unveiling a wide-ranging fiscal package. As a result, we predict UK debt has surged from 86% of GDP in 2019 to finish 2020 close to the 100% mark. Since the start of the pandemic, the Monetary Policy Committee at the Bank of England has cut interest rates you know, to a record low of 0.1%. They've ramped up that bond buying program, which now stands at an astonishing £859 billion. Given the fact that we've got this extensive contraction, lacklustre inflation expectations, and that continued Brexit uncertainty, the MPC will be monitoring conditions very carefully indeed. In the past, of course, they've said they're prepared to add yet more stimulus and would consider negative interest rates. Most likely, if we do see a further deterioration in terms of the UK's growth prospects, they're likely to reduce the bank rate to zero. I think lower the capital requirement for banks and offer even more dovish guidance. For next year, we're forecasting growth of 5.4%. That partly reflects the deep contraction during the course of this year. We should remind ourselves it would still leave UK GDP 4.3% below its pre-COVID levels by the end of 2021. And then moving on to the US, Henk, what is it looking like for the US in 2021? Well, we know the US economy, of course, battled through a very difficult 2020. We, of course, had that second quarter contraction, the fastest on record, shrinking by 31%. Despite this, actually, the US economy roared back at record speed, we should remind ourselves, in the third quarter, expanding by 33%. We've seen a surge in activity, and that's been driven by the relaxation of restrictions, stimulus fueled consumer spending, sizable gains coming through in terms of exports. If you look at the US housing market, it's been booming. Residential investment climbing at its fastest pace since 1983. Business investment has been particularly upbeat, registering an astonishing 70% improvement, as we saw during the course of the third quarter. The US consumer has been making a comeback as well. Again, we'll be watching the labor market very carefully. The locking down of economies triggered that surge in job losses. In fact, the unemployment rate hit, I think, 14.7% in April, the highest since the Great Depression. But we would expect the US unemployment rate to finish this year somewhere around about 6.5% to finish 2021 at 5%. So significant recovery there. And that's going to be good news, I think, for the US economy. So the immediate US growth profile as you look towards next year still remains uncertain, will inevitably depend upon the ability of authorities to tame the virus, to push ahead with additional fiscal stimulus. But I think it'll be a year of steady recovery in the United States as companies rehire workers, consumer spending rebounds and activity is supported by that uh, very loose monetary and fiscal position. So from the low base of 2020, we forecast the US economy will grow somewhere around about 4.1% next year. 
Brilliant. Thank you, Henk. So lots for the, the new administration to grapple with as we head into 2021, but the prospects are looking pretty positive in the US. What about the Eurozone? Well, the Eurozone, of course, entered its deepest recession since World War II during the course of this year, posting that double-digit contraction in the second quarter. Third quarter recovery was led by the likes of France and Spain, driven by pent-up household demand, business investment and net trade. However, varying degrees of fresh lockdowns, disrupted global trade and pressure on domestic demand, I think, adds to the risk of a double-dip recession occurring within the Eurozone. We expect Eurozone unemployment rate of 8.8% by year end, remaining elevated through 2021, finishing somewhere around about 8.5%. Eurozone fiscal response has been robust, and that's good news. The establishment of the European Recovery Fund by the European Commission is considered, I think, a significant step change for the bloc. In terms of the growth prospects, well, the Eurozone likes to contract in the final quarter of this year, taking the annual slump to 7.2%. Growth prospects, again, will be determined by the path of the pandemic, the resilience of the labour market, the efficacy, I guess, of the coordinated fiscal and monetary response that we've been seeing. But we would expect growth next year in the Eurozone somewhere around about 2.6%. That's actually a pretty poor performance, certainly when viewed through the lens of the low base of 2020. Yes. So what are the prospects looking like for China? Well, we should remember, of course, China was the first to feel the effects of the coronavirus late last year. However, the country's active and aggressive response has limited the impact on the state and helped to avoid a technical recession. In the first nine months of the year, output was actually positive. China registered growth of seven-tenths of one percent. So we've seen a strong bounce in activity. There are, of course, some risks to growth when you look at China. Flare-ups of COVID-19, you've got elevated debt levels. And of course, remains vulnerable to future travel restrictions, weaker global demand and geopolitical tensions. For those we've been talking about today, the new Biden administration is expected to reduce some of those trade tensions between the world's two superpowers. When I look at China's growth forecast, well, for the first time since the 1990s, China didn't set themselves an official growth target for this year. But we envisage it will grow somewhere around about 2.3% during the course of 2020, likely to be the only major region to grow during the course of this year. Next year, we pencil in a very strong recovery coming through from China of 8.4%. So really going to be part of the driving force behind the recovery that we see in the global economy through 2021. Thank you so much, Henk. I think you have given us a real insight into how COVID-19 overlaid with existing political and economic uncertainty has shaped 2020. But you've also painted a picture for us globally for 2021. So thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure. Great to be with you. As we can see from the outlooks, the economic picture is varied and some degree of uncertainty remains in the near term. For businesses, that means that contingency planning and adapting to ensure your business is resilient will remain important, allowing you to manage the challenges and grasp the opportunities that 2021 will surely bring. Focusing on the fundamentals of robust cash flow management, adapting to changing customer behaviour and expectations and carefully monitoring and potentially diversifying your supply chain are the areas that will support strong business throughout the economic cycle. Thank you all for joining us. If there are any areas that we discussed today that you'd like more information on, please contact your relationship director in the first instance or visit our website for more insight. 